morning, everyone. This is Man Coverage, Knoxville Nate, Mr. James Bonneville. How are you doing today, Mr. James? Hey, you better be a crime. I like to hear it. It is May 15, 2022. As I mentioned, this is Man Coverage. We are talking college football today. We're going to break down a little bit about uh, what's going on right now in the NCAA world with the collectives, with the NIL, with all the things happening and being discussed. We're also going to break down today and go in-depth on the Clemson Dabo Sweeney-led Tigers. Obviously, last year was a disappointment uh, for Clemson. They still won 10 games. So your program's doing pretty damn good if 10-3 uh, and three is a down year. And uh, we're going to talk about what happened last year and uh, what's going to happen in 2022 based on our thoughts. So uh, first off, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, what's happening in the NCAA football world and what's happening uh, with the NIL and what's happening with these collectives that have been formed. You know, this is big news all across the country, all across college football. You know, we've heard the NCAA come out and basically tell the teams that are governed by them that they are not allowed to pay these high school kids to come to these particular schools and to play. Basically, they're trying to prevent the pay for play because we know it's happening. It's always happened. But now, essentially, based on the rules, it's legal. But the NCAA is saying that they're not going to allow it. Uh, they've done investigations. They've investigated BYU openly. They've openly investigated Miami. I'm sure they found something, but they didn't do anything. James, what are your thoughts on the collective investigations your thoughts on where the NCA is at right now, and what are your thoughts on where we're going uh, with paying these high school kids to come to individual schools? Well, obviously the original tent wasn't pay to play, but the NCAA, as usual, was, you know, a little slow to the draw. I mean, it's not like people haven't been telling them for years, even the Supreme Court, you need to do something about this, and they did nothing. And now they're trying to pick up the pieces retroactively. I don't know if how they have a case where they could come in and go after somebody retroactively. Now, I mean, there are multiple problems with collectives. I mean, at certain schools, you've got competing collectives. Uh, there was one tweet I saw from an unnamed coach talking about how he, that you've got collectives offering money to kids of kids they don't even want. Uh, it, it, it's you start to wonder who's running what anymore. It, it's kind of become the wild, wild west, and the coaches have they're not really running their programs per se, they're just kind of a participant on the wave that's happening. And I don't know what in the world this is going to look like on the back end. Yeah, and this is what we talked about from the beginning, that this was going to be the wild, wild west. And and what we talked about on this show from the get-go and what we've talked about all along is the NCAA spent so much time, so much money, so much effort fighting uh, the NIL and fighting the transfer portal uh, becoming of age that they didn't really set any groundwork for how it's going to work once it was allowed. And they lost you know, their battle with the Supreme yeah. Court and basically the NIL was was allowed to happen and the transfer portal was opened up and then there just are no rules governing it. And that's why we keep referring to it 
as the wild, wild west, because it, it's like living in a uh, city back on the, uh, the the Western times where, you know, you had a, a marshal who you didn't really know who was controlling him. And uh, Doc Holliday kind of rode into town and stole gold and no one gave a crap. And, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now, because there really are no rules uh, yeah. that anyone's following. And we, you know, this wasn't set up to be a pay for play. But as you mentioned, it's happening. And we know that certain collectives that are run by boosters, that are run by alumni, people with money that are fans, basically, of these teams. And they're going out, like you mentioned, and sometimes working not in conjunction with the coaches and not in conjunction with the school, but going out in their own interest, finding kids that they want to come to that school and then offering them money to come. And and that's a big problem, I think, because as you mentioned, I, I read that article that you were talking about where a coach said that, you know, the kid came to him and told him that he'd been given money uh, to come to their program and the coach knew nothing about it. Yeah. And uh, if that, if that continues to happen, it's going to be a big problem. And uh, you know, what, what I think the NCAA is doing right now is they're trying to build some cases where they have some proof that this is going on. They're going to try and issue some sort of statement, some sort of punishment against a school for paying a player to come. And then that player or the school or both are going to sue the NCAA and the NCAA is going to try and win that case and then have some legal footing to stand on. That's what I think is going on right now, because they, they issued this, uh, you know, the 10 months have, have been, you know, come and gone and nothing's really happened. Now they've issued these statements saying that they're not, you know, these schools aren't allowed to do this. If you do do it, we're going to get, you know, we're going to put you into a world of hurt. You're going to get in trouble, but nothing's really happened yet. And that is what I believe is is going on. Am I right or am I wrong, James? I I, I would say you're right. I mean, I, I think the problem you have when you've got a court case like this, if you followed uh, the last dealings with NIL, I mean, that was a 9-0 ruling. And uh, uh, Kavanaugh wrote the opinion basically daring the NCAA to come back to them. Uh, because they were going to get smacked upside the head and that they, they warned them, you've got to do something about this. And the NCAA, as usual, did nothing. So I, 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 I mean, granted, every case is different, but it would be interesting to see how this one transpires and how they can put this away. I, I, I mean, the only way I could see this potentially working and the universities are going to absolutely hate this because it's going to make players employees is that they unionize yeah. and that you could create some kind of cap per se. Uh, but are the universities going to want to consider them employees then? I mean, that's, I mean, you're dealing with a whole lot of issues like uh, you're dealing with labor relations issues. You're dealing with liability. You're de- I mean, there's just a whole host of other things that I know I'm not an expert on but it becomes much more complicated and it almost becomes the glorified semi-pro. And do we want college football to become that too as well? I don't know. I mean, I honest to God, the next 10 years are going to be very vital to the sport itself to see what happens and what it looks like. I mean, you could see the break off of the power five conferences, uh, or heck, make I mean maybe even a bigger divide between Division One, uh, the FBS versus the FCS. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean it, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. 
Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, this is something we've talked about for years and, and something that we've gone back and forth on, um, you know, about about paying the uh, the kids. And, and, you know, we got a comment here from old Willie O'Meara talking about, uh, you know, he can't believe that they're they're paying high school players now. Um, you know, scholarships are, are used to be what these kids got. And um, that's what used to be given to these high school kids to entice them to come to these schools. And, you know, I don't think that every single school is paying players to come there. I really don't believe that. I don't believe that no. every single one is. Uh, but I believe it's happening. And, and as you mentioned, some of these rogue collectives are, are doing it on their own. Um, but that's not what the NIL was meant for. The NIL was originally designed so that, and we talked about this last week in Coach Stoops' article where Coach Stoops from Kentucky mentioned that he thought and that the NIL initially was designed to pay players that have come to a school, you know, taken a scholarship, worked their butt off, helped, uh, you know, improve a program or, you know, create a program and get it to a point where the program is successful, the program is making money off ticket sales, off beer sales, off of jersey sales, off of TV revenue, and then that player is able to share in that revenue by using their name, image, and likeness uh, throughout that community or throughout the country, whatever. Uh, but it wasn't really designed to pay these kids to come to the schools. But, you know, we've known this forever. Uh, yeah. back, back, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, uh, the Pony Express and uh, SMU. and, and Well, I mean, uh, half the whole Southwest Conference during that era. I mean, that was the era of Dallas on TV. I mean, where games were won. I mean, you had high schools, boosters that had high schools that were sending kids to specific high schools. I mean, heck, Eric Dickerson still talks about what he got from Texas A&M. Was it a Corvette? And, uh, and he I mean, was a Trans Am. Trans Am, that's right. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that 30 for 30 they did on SMU was unbelievable. And if people never got a chance to see those SMU teams, uh, they were special in a time where the Southwest Conference was, I mean, an unbelievable conference. I mean, Lou Holtz was at Arkansas and had them rolling. I mean, he had one bad year where he went six and five in 1983 and got fired. Yeah. And this guy was always top three in the Southwest Conference, traditionally playing on January 1st bowl games. Yeah, well, he left after he got fired and went and won a national championship at Notre Dame. In five years, five yeah, years, five years later. So, you know, yeah. that's that's telling you right now what was going on back then. But, you know, this is this has been happening for a long time. These kids have been getting paid uh, to come to schools. And I think, you know, that's not good for for college football. I mean, that that creates what we talked about, which we didn't want, which was certain schools being number one, being number two every single year. Uh, there's no parity. Schools that have the most money keep winning and keep going on winning. And that's not what we want. We want parity. We want schools to be able to have a, a firm groundwork, uh, be able to lay a firm groundwork to build their program based upon a good coach, based on uh, getting good players and not having just to pay uh, for kids coming there. And, and I'm all for these kids getting money, but I think that just paying them to come to a specific school is not good. I think it's not good for college football. I don't think it's good for the kid, um, you know, Let's talk about this for one second. The NFL draft essentially is a 50% miss rate. Uh, yeah. You know, talking about first round in the NFL draft, if you go back to the history of it, 
50% of the players that are drafted in the first round don't make it to their second contract. Uh, yeah. might, might even be a little bit higher than that. So if you're talking about kids that have played two, three, four years in college, not being able to evaluate whether they're going to have success at a professional level, what do you think the hit rate is for co- uh, high school players going to college? I mean, it can't be anywhere yeah. near that 50%. And so if you're paying these kids uh, to, to go to a college, you know, sometimes you're going to be wasting money because these kids aren't going to pan out. Well, and- I mean, I, I mean, think about how much your body changed and developed, not only between your high school years from when you were 14 to 18, but then think from 18 to 23. Say you take that red shirt in there too as well. I mean, heck, you've seen players go from being scrawny to being really, really big. And because, I mean, you're getting the best professional strength and conditioning money can buy. I mean, they're tracking everything that's going in your body and they are seeing the output come from that too as well. And I I, I mean, you see guys, I mean, there are so many players go back. I, I still have athlons from like the 1980s, 1990s. There's names on there that are very high rated guys that I never heard of either because of injury or they just didn't pan out. I mean, these things happen time and time again. It's not like you always see five-star guys be the first-round draft picks. No, I mean, and I, I just – I looked this up a little while ago. I was doing some research about, you know, what what type of recruits ended up having – you know, what type of star recruits ended up having success in the NFL. And I, I went back and found this article. I believe it was from around 2013 uh, – excuse me, 2016, I believe – and this was the 2016 Pro Bowl. Um, 37 of the players there were three-star recruits or, or worse. And uh, these names are going to be pretty alarming. Aaron Rodgers was a three-star recruit. Uh, Dak Prescott was a three-star. I, honestly, I don't think Aaron Rodgers was even a three-star recruit. Remember- yeah, this means this is three-star or worse. Oh, okay, or worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or worse. This is three-star or worse. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't phrase it right but yeah this is three star or worse uh matt ryan Le'Veon bell mike evans brandon sheriff david DeCastro, travis frederick trent williams travis kelsey casey hayward uh marcus peters richard sherman brian arakpo luke keekley vic beasley von miller marcia yonda aaron donald geno atkins cliff averill Jarrell casey justin tucker the name goes on and on uh, actually, those are three stars. Those that said that Aaron Rodgers was a three-star, two-star recruits. Uh, Ty Hilton, Akib Talib, Khalil Mack was a two-star. Obviously, went on to Buffalo. Bobby Wagner, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, was a two-star that went to Utah State. Um, and then no-star recruit uh, Tom Brady was no stars. Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, Kyle Uchek, Mike Tolbert, Delaney Walker. I mean. It, the list goes on and on with guys who had no stars that went on. So my point is, and the only reason I was reading that article was that there's kids that, you know, aren't even recruited that go on and be, have huge NFL careers. And there's kids that are five stars that that never can even get on the field. So paying these kids out of high school is just wrong. It's, it's like gambling, essentially. And we all know when you go to Vegas, they didn't build all those buildings and put up all those lights for people that are winning. Uh, at the gambling tables. Yeah. You know, 
that's just not how it works. The the Vegas the house usually wins, and uh, I, I just don't think it's a good precedent to pay these kids that have never done anything for the game of college football to come and play it. I don't know, James. That's just my thought. What What do you think about all? Of I, I I'm still up in the air on this one. Where I mean, I I can see the downside of it, but the problem is it becomes an arms race, and the ones that have the most arms usually wins, and that becomes a problem because if you're a school that, I mean, heck, the Boise State's the world. Heck, even if they develop somebody, what's the odds they keep that guy? Yeah, probably not much because if it comes down to cash, the kid's gone. But yeah. in how, I mean, once the kid makes, I mean, hearing some of these money, uh, these numbers coming out, like Jordan Addison's number. Yeah, uh, you may be more making more money in college than you would in the pros. Oh yeah, it's definitely true. And and we got a question here from one of our viewers: uh, Would you privately invest money in an NIL, NIL collective group that was a player incubator based? and zip codes uh, from a prominent number of pros. It, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I can tell you. Yeah. I, I can tell you right now that if you don't have a collective set up, you're falling behind in college football. Oh, right God, now. yeah. Absolutely. That's one thing I can tell you because look at Texas. Look at Texas A&M. They got ahead of this, and they went out and uh, got their collective set up. They got their boosters to pool money and look at the recruiting classes that they pulled, look at the transfers that they pulled because they were giving these guys either money up front. I don't know. Or they were giving them the ability to make money when they got there. Don't you think that's the case? Oh, I mean, the, the Jimbo was so far ahead of the game on this one. It wasn't even funny getting the boosters to get invested that much into it. Um, here, what about this question? Yeah, uh, an NIL incubator that invests in kids' zip codes from birth, food programs, tutor programs, strength and conditioning. Hey, you know, I mean, that's kind of where we're heading, uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Thank, you, thank you for the questions and the, and the comments because, you know, it, it may sound far-fetched to some people, but that's really, really where we're headed. And, and we talk about um, we're going to get into Clemson here in a minute, and we're going to break down some of their recruits and some of their players. Well, their quarterback – uh, that they got. Cade Klubnik is from Westlake uh, High School in Austin, Texas. As we know, and everyone knows, or if you don't know, I'll tell you right now, that's where uh, Drew Brees came from. That's where Nick Foles came from. Uh, that's where, give me another one. Sam uh, Ellinger. Come on, Sam little Ellinger. gun shooter. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. They've had several hey, guys. Cause, hey, because Texas is back. Yeah. Remember, Texas is back. According yeah, to Sam we'll Ellinger. see about that. But yeah, Man. that's what, uh, that's a place where kids, uh, kids come from. And, and that's what Jimmy's talking about. I mean, we could go and, and just set up a collective where we pay whoever the hell is the quarterback from Westlake uh, to come directly to Texas and, and give yeah. him money in high school. And uh, right now that's not allowed because you can't pay kids in high school in Texas. And that's where we saw the Quinn Ewers example, where he quit his high school team, didn't play his senior year, moved to Columbus, sat on the bench at Ohio state and made a million dollars. So he, uh, Jimmy says he'll take the 305. Uh, where is the 305? I, I don't even know. I, I'm guessing 305 has got to be uh, south. Uh, Miami, Florida. Florida. Miami, Florida. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. Yeah, that, that that's a good – that would be a good – yeah, 305. 
Yeah, there, there's, uh, as Will says, there really is always a better team that is able to pay you more than you. Yeah, no, there well, is. Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen it. I mean, uh, Texas A&M, they've got a huge alumni and booster uh, group that has always uh, supported the program and that has always taken care of business uh, off the field for the Aggies. And look what they were able to do. And as you said, you got to give Jimbo Fisher credit because he was ahead of the game on this. And he's taken some hits. There's been some people that have said he's basically just paying guys to come. He was, uh, you know, they've said that he was doing that at Florida State, that he paid Jameis to come there, that he paid some of those other kids that were on that national championship team uh, to play, Jalen Ramsey uh, and other players of that caliber uh, to come to Florida State. So, you know, that's been going on for years. And and the question is, you know, should we allow this? Should this be allowed to, to pay these kids to come? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether or not that's a good idea. I, I really don't. I think that these kids should be allowed to make money. I think they should be allowed to profit off their NIL, their name, image, and likeness once they've gotten to college and and actually helped uh, a program out. But just paying them to come to a school, I think, opens up a, a big can of worms. But really, right now, there's no way to police it, James. Oh, it's the Wild West. Absolutely. There's no way. I mean, this is like the Southwest, old Southwest Conference just out in the open rather than the Texas uh, Dallas boardrooms. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there, there's no, with, with the rulings that occurred from the Supreme court that now these kids can, can essentially make money uh, when they're still considered an amateur athlete, there really isn't any amateur athletes anymore, but uh, still considered being an amateur athlete, they're still allowed to make money. There's really no way to police it because you can yeah. say, you know, you're not allowed to pay for this kid to come here, but there's really there, there's ways to hide how you're paying the kid. You can say, well, we're 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 bringing him into our NIL group where once he's a member of our team, he gets this amount of money uh, to help him via the NIL or, or however they want to phrase it. They can you know word the contracts and they're hiring attorneys left and right. And everybody hates attorneys until they need one. And yeah. if you've got a good attorney. There's ways to to write these contracts up where it looks like he's just getting paid to be a player on this team that you're not really paying him to come there. But we all know that uh, that may not always be the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that again. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, it's definitely very interesting. It's definitely something that we're going to talk a lot about on this show. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in and, and please continue to give us your comments because we want to know what everybody thinks. Me and James were in favor, both of us, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, James, but me and you both were in favor of opening up the transfer portal. We think Agreed. You know, these these coaches can go wherever the hell they want. They make all the money now. Uh, you talk about these kids making this million dollars or a kid making a million dollars here or a million dollars there. Well, those are just the high-end players. The other players aren't making that. These coaches are the guys that are making the big buku bucks. I mean, um, Ryan Day makes $8 million or more. Uh, Jim Harbaugh yeah. makes nine million dollars. Nick Saban Jeff, makes over ten million. Jeff I mean, Brom. Jeff Brom makes what eight nine million a year. Yes, uh, and that's something that we're going to talk about too. Is uh, the the top college uh, coaches' salaries? I mean, that's kind of where this is uh, stemming from. Is you know you, you, we're always saying, well, where's this money going to come from? Well, you know these coaches make so much. That the, the money's there. I mean, it, the, the college football is definitely 
making it a fight. I mean, talk about Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. You know, not not a not a powerhouse blue chip program, but Pat Fitzgerald has been the coach there for what fifteen years at least, or more at least, and he's done a very good job. Well, he's been paid handsomely for it. He makes almost five point eight million dollars. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas makes six million dollars just from his salary, not to mention all the other money he makes. Um, talk about uh, Dan Mullen, who was a let's be honest, a disaster at the University of Florida. He was making almost $8 million a year. Ed Orgeron was making over $9 million. Um, so, you know, these salaries are ridiculous. Ryan Day makes almost $7 million. James Franklin makes over $7 million. Uh, as I mentioned, Jim Harbaugh, Kirby Smart makes over $8 million. Lane Kiffin makes over $7 million at Ole Miss. Um, Jimbo Fisher, $8 million. Mario Cristobal got paid over $8 million to work at uh, Miami and to switch from Oregon. Dabo Sweeney makes $8.4 million. David Shaw at Stanford makes $9 million a year. I mean, that blew that one blew me away uh, because I never really realized um, that, uh, that he made that much. Uh, we got another question here, uh, which is asking, um, did, did Dylan Riola get paid uh, to come to Ohio State? The answer is we don't really know. Um, yeah. Nobody really knows. Now, there hasn't been a deal reported for him. Uh, there's been no NIL deal uh, that has come out saying that Dylan Riola got paid to go to Ohio State. Now, will he get paid from the collective once he gets there? Definitely. Oh, yeah. um, there's a collective that was set up by the Schottenstein uh, family and is spearheaded by Cardale Jones, the former quarterback who won the national championship. It's one of the it's becoming one of the bigger collectives in the country. And, uh, you know, that's obviously, obviously probably something that, um, you know, led to Dylan Riola making the decision to go to Ohio State. Don't you think, James? You know, I, I, not only that, but I think you've seen this pipeline of specific types of quarterbacks going to Ohio State since Ryan Day has come in. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back from Haskins through, through Fields, through Stroud, there's a similarity in style and structure of how they they throw the ball. And you could see with Riola is the same same process. There's a certain type of body type he's looking for, kind of like what Matt Rule did at Baylor. You know, he was strictly looking at body type and he can make them turn them into a different position if he needed to be. But he wanted them fast and sleek. And you look at what, you know, Ohio State's doing. Yeah, they could run, Shroud can run, Fields could run, but they like sitting back and being generals, the old school 1980s generals and really uh, surveying the field. Yeah, I mean, um, CJ Stroud was criticized some last year for not running. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's that that was some of the, the criticism he took. But let's be honest, the guy finished, what, third in the Heisman? Yeah. And is projected to win the Heisman and, and uh, be a number one draft pick next year. So he had a pretty good season. And, and as you mentioned, I think when we're talking about Dylan Riola here, uh, based on Will's question, you know, I think a lot of things went into the decision to him to go to Ohio State. You know, I think he's seen the success that the Ohio State offense has had. I mean, think about it. Last year, Ohio State was the number one offense in the country. C.J. Stroud stepped in as a first-year starter and had those crazy numbers. Look at the receivers that Brian Hartline and Ryan Day have put together in the Ohio State offense. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, um, Garrett Wilson, um, Marvin Williams Jr., 
uh, a jig, uh, what's a, a Buka. I mean, the Julian Fleming, the list goes on and on and on. And so there's, there's those weapons there. Uh, there's the system that is there and the system has set these quarterbacks up for success. If you go back to when, um, urban Meyer took over as the coach and he stepped in, um, and created his offensive scheme, you know, the, the quarterbacks have all flourished from Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, Cardell Jones. It didn't really matter who the yeah, quarterback was. You've got a different offensive set now under Urban, you do. under you under do. Day than you did under Urban. I mean, no, no, that's I, definitely I, true. I'm just saying that since Urban Meyer's taken over, all of the quarterbacks at Ohio State have all had success at the college level. Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that. Now, okay, I now, think one thing not to put to put in perspective too, and I think this goes beyond Rayola, Stroud, Bryce Young, and a guy we're going to be talking about a little later on with DJU is the downfall of the Pac-12. I mean, you're seeing many, many kids. I mean, this is a bumper crop of kids coming out of states like Arizona, who's, I mean, becoming a factory of quarterbacks. There's a quarterback whisperer doing a phenomenal job down there. Plus, look at what's going on in Southern California alone. I mean, heck, you had three kids in the same class that'll probably get drafted in the first round. Uh, but they're not staying at Pac-12 schools. Trying to bring back the Pac-12 to some semblance of what it was. And that means we need Kalen DeBoer to bring back Washington to be that offensive powerhouse. Uh, Oregon, you know, Dan, I mean, obviously you look at what Cristobal did. He was going to be really good on the defensive side and really strong in the offensive line, but they weren't really what they were under Kelly or even going at the, the Bilotti. I mean, they, they kind of stagnated offensively and played kind of this 1980s, early 1990s football. Um, I, I hope Lanning can change that thought process. We need Stanford back. Uh, it's just, it's not good offense overall. And, People tend to not want to watch, but at the end of the day, you need USC to be a good program. If without USC, there's really nothing there in the Pac-12. There's nothing to draw you there. They are the helmet school in that conference. That's true. And um, I think Lincoln Riley will, will help uh, turn that program around. Uh, they've, they've, it's not like they haven't been trying, James. I mean, they've, oh, they've yeah. brought in Lane Kiffin. They brought in Sarkeesian. They brought in Helton. I mean, they've they've been changing coaches every few years. They've been uh, switching coordinators. They've been getting recruits that they think are viable. I mean, it's not like they haven't been trying out there in Trojan land. It just haven't been hasn't been working. But and, they've uh, been running the same offense dating back to John Robinson. I mean, uh, pretty much old school pro style under under center and i can tell you right now lincoln riley ain't gonna do that i mean no no i think he brought his he brought his quarterback uh he brought his quarterback with him uh he brought his uh uh, one of his receivers with him and he brought his offense with him so um we're gonna we're gonna see their offense and see if it works out in the pac-12 and i think it will um i think they're gonna have success i think uh, they're not going to win. I don't. I don't see them competing for a national championship this year. Uh, but they are going to. Uh, they're going to bring their system with them, and they're going to see what they can do. And uh, I can uh, see they, how the alumni. I can see how their alumni, if they don't by year four make the CFP, there's going to be hell to pay. 
Oh yeah. Oh, there he was brought in to win a national championship. There's yeah. no doubt. Um, you know, they they've won nine, 10 games. Uh, Jimmy thinks they're going to run the veer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they might. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, I think the system that Oklahoma has, has had in place for years has been successful. I mean, think about, uh, the different quarterbacks they've had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, uh, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams. I mean, it, it, it's like Ryan Day's system. It works in college football. These are guys that are very, very innovative as far as their minds go, as far as offense goes. And uh, it, it, as long as they get somebody that's got some arm talent and has decent legs, uh, they can make it work. And it's been working. And that's why, you know, going back to the original question, uh, Dylan Riola wanted, wants to be successful. Uh, he yeah. wants to, you know, have a system that's in place where he can uh, thrive. And that that's there at Ohio State right now. As, as we mentioned, you know, Urban Meyer's come and gone. His offense is kind of come and gone. As you mentioned, the offense has changed and it's yeah. become more prolific. These quarterbacks are, you know, getting drafted now. I mean, <laughs> you think about, you know, JT Barrett, Cardell Jones, both late draft picks because they were college quarterbacks. Well, now you've got guys that um, C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, um, these guys are, are potential NFL quarterbacks because they can throw it, they can read defenses, they can do things, and they're not just playing the zone read, which is yeah. what you know Urban Meyer's system was was largely. Well, based all you had to do under Urban's offense was read two different guys depending on the yeah. play. Yeah, that was it. Where uh, Stroud, Stroud honestly has, I mean, you look at him and Bryce Young, they have. I mean, they could come in and probably play in an NFL offense today. They just understand the game so well. They they could literally be on the headset and play the game. They're just they're mature beyond their years. I mean, heck, this the game against Utah in the Rose Bowl said more about Stroud when you had you look at how many people Ohio State had out, yeah, and still came back and won that game. I mean, that's that's a testament yeah. to Stroud. No, that's a great – well, it's a testament to Ryan Day's offense. Because True. if you talk about for a second, you know, who didn't play in that game. I mean, think about it. Uh, Ohio State was playing Utah, which was, a, in my opinion, Utah's a very good team. And, yeah. Uh, Chris oh, Olave, absolutely. Uh, well, Garrett Wilson, who was drafted, uh, what was it, number 10 Man. overall to the New York Jets, he did not play. Uh, Chris Olave, who was drafted number 11 did not play and the the offense didn't drop off at all cj stroud was 37 of 46 for 573 yards six touchdowns jackson smith and jigba had 15 catches for 347 and three touchdowns marvison marvin harrison jr who had essentially been the fourth wide receiver all year had three touchdowns i mean that right there is a testament to this offense to ryan day and as you mentioned to CJ Stroud and how good uh, they are. Yeah. So we're going to see how that works uh, in the fall, but right now we're going to, we're going to break down Ohio state as we get going. Uh, they're obviously in contention for the college football playoff. Once again, they are. Get, no. yeah, yes, they are. They no. are. They are. Uh, I, I can see that. I can see my leg now. I can see them winning it all, and I hope they do, because as everyone knows, I am a Buckeye fan, so I hope they do. And I hope the Pac-12 Pac continues to suck, in my opinion, because I want them to keep <laughs> sending their players uh, to Columbus. So I don't want uh, USC to be good. I don't want uh, you know Washington to come back. I don't want any of that. I, I want uh, 
I want Ohio State to keep getting all those guys into into keep being good. But uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. But I do want to talk for a minute about our our topic for today and something that we were going to break down, and that is the Clemson Tigers. Um, Clemson last year, obviously uh, not what they're used to overall uh, with you know the the Dabo Sweeney era. Uh, they have been tearing it up since he took over as head coach. I mean, let's just be honest. They've been competing um, for national championships every single year since he got there. And that's what their fans uh, have come to expect. Um, and that's, that's just the way of the way of the world right now for Clemson football. Uh, they're expected to win a national championship and, and anything less than that is a failure. Now um, they did go, 10 and three. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the program, if you can go 10 and three uh, and, and have a bad year, you're doing pretty good. But um, there were some things that were alarming uh, throughout last last season, in my opinion, in 2021. Um, simply their dominance in the ACC uh, was concerning to me because it wasn't there anymore. They went six and two in the ACC, uh, but they lost some games that they normally would would not have any business losing. They also were in some very close games that, that normally wouldn't occur um, in 2021. And that, that was because of their, their offensive system uh, not working. And, and we'll get into this, James, I want to hear your thoughts on why uh, their offense was not the same that it's been. Obviously Trevor Lawrence was gone, um, but we saw DJU last year play when Trevor Lawrence was hurt and the offense not drop off very much. Um, now, obviously, Venables was still there, and so that defense was still there. And even though the offense struggled, the defense kept them in some games that they shouldn't have been in. And um, that that's you know that's not going to be there this year because Venables is gone. What was your thought on your thoughts on Clemson's season last year? Them the way they started the season, the way they progressed throughout the season, and the way they finished it. Well. That's a tough question. It's not as open and shut. I have never been a big fan of Clemson's offensive line. Since Dabo has come to the program, they've only had five guys drafted total from their offensive line, which is remarkable considering how many years they were contending for a national title during Taj Boyd, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Deshaun Watson. Keep going on. They just, they, the program just kept humming along. And you would think with all the great defensive lines they went up against, they should be putting at least one, two a year into the NFL. I mean, the highest one they got drafted was just, what, a year or two ago? Uh, the Jackson, uh, what was his name? Jackson Comer. Uh, it, da, 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 this is escaping me for one second here. Uh Bear with me here. Uh, yeah, Jackson Carmen. Tackle. Went in the second round of Cincinnati. Other than that, you saw linebackers. I mean, you know, fourth round or more. How often do you see that happen? And last year, it was very apparent. I mean, DJU was getting knocked off the ball constantly. Running game, Will Shipley had, what, 700 yards total offense? 700 yards. I mean, and, and you look at his style of play, it's very similar to the Travis Etienne, the Andre Ellington, the Wayne Gallman style. They're taller, sl they're longer, sleeker. 
but you got to give them something to work with because the first thing they get, if the first contact they're getting is behind the line of scrimmage, they're in trouble. Another thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is the they, they really did not have that uh, guy at the slot. Yeah. Like last year, they had Amari Rogers, who, quite frankly, I thought he was undervalued. I thought so many people were looking towards T. Higgins or Justin Ross pre-injury. And Amari Rogers was kind of like the third, uh, third stooge. Yeah. Nobody can remember his name. They can remember Larry, Larry and Moe. They couldn't remember Amari Rogers' name. And he had phenomenal stats. And I really am high in him next year in Green Bay now that uh, Adams has moved on to Vegas. Uh, I mean, before that, you had Hunter Renfro. And look what he's doing in the NFL. I mean, the guy is just instant catches. Jordan Leggett. I mean, there was always that guy that could find that little seam, lay down and get that catch from Watson, from Lawrence, to break up that zone, to make them play the you know sideline to sideline rather than just playing the boundaries with their big, long receivers. I right, mean, and, and, only, and only 12 games because 2020, uh, obviously, you know, they, they only played in 12 total games. Yeah. Amari Rodgers had 77 catches, over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns. He averaged over 13 yards a catch. Um, you know, and also they handed the ball to him. Uh, yeah. they, they, they flipped it to him. They handed it to him on reverses, whatever it was, that guy was a big part of their offense. And, and like you mentioned, he didn't get all the fanfare, uh, throughout the season, but at the end of the year, uh, the Packers sure took notice cause they picked him in the second round and, uh, essentially they're going to be counting on him to, to produce this year, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, personally, you look back through D- D- Dabo's entire career, I would put Rodgers probably third, a close third in the best receivers during that program, during his era of the program. I mean, obviously, you got to put Sammy Watkins number one because Sammy Watkins was a difference maker. But DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Rodgers, I mean, I would slightly give Hopkins an edge, but I think Hopkins gets that edge because recency bias of what I've seen in the NFL, too. I mean... Amari Rogers was very underrated. People didn't give near the credit. And that slot position in that Clemson offense is big. And now you lose Brent Venables. I mean, the strength of that defense was that defensive line. I mean, go back. It is ridiculous how many people they have put into the NFL. I bet you as close to, of the 74 people, I bet you 20 to 25 come from the defensive line. It's a ridiculous number. I mean, heck, they had what five in one draft of which oh, yeah. what three in the first round. I mean, that Correct. was crazy. That was Correct. insane. I have never seen anything like that. That was the uh, that was the nineteen draft. You had Cleveland Flo- uh, Florell go number four to Oakland. You had uh, Christian Wilkins go thirteen to Miami. You had Dexter Lawrence go seventeen to the Giants. You had Austin Bryant go in the fourth round to Detroit. Detroit. I mean, what a lineup. I mean, that's like murderous freaking row right there. And yeah, then and you lose. And then you got to think that it was the same draft that produced Quinnen Williams and Pick yeah. uh, and, and Nick Bosa. And, um, you know, there was a lot of really talented defensive linemen in that draft. And 
just just thinking about all the Clemson players that that went, it, it's crazy to me. And and to have that many guys go uh, in in the first and second round, and then to still have success the following year, I, I think says a lot about Coach Venables. And I think he's going to be lost. Uh, this year. Look back, and I, I just want to talk about this for one second. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, um, no. It's all good. But I just wanted to talk about one thing, and this is what we, we started this whole conversation on, was the season last year. They started off losing 10-3 to to Georgia. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. That is one of the best defenses of all time, as far as Georgia's defense goes. Um, maybe even didn't even realize it at the time, but as the year went along, we realized that Georgia's defense was unbelievable, and losing to them 10-3, not that big of a deal, but still only being able to put 10, uh, three points on the board against Georgia was very alarming. And the trend continued. I mean, you talk about two weeks later, Georgia Tech, they won that game, but it was 14 to eight. Uh, the week after, they lost to NC State in two overtimes and, uh, you know, only put up 21 points. And then that's where you're starting from the 20 there in those two overtimes. So that's where a lot of those points were made. The week after that, they beat Boston College but only scored 19 points. They won 19-13. The week after that, they played Syracuse and easily could have lost that game. They were losing uh, into the fourth quarter and ended up winning 17-14, to more, in my opinion, due to the uh, failures of Syracuse, not to the successes of Clemson. The week after that, they lost to Pittsburgh and only scored 17 points. So my point is that offense struggled all year, and their defense kept them uh, into the games that they were in and it saved them in the games that they won by those slow margins. And, and now Venables is gone. What do you think the effect of Venables going to Oklahoma as their head coach? That guy's been with, with Dabo for 10 years. He's gone. What happens? Well, I mean, you still got miles Murphy there. You still got uh, Brian breeze there. I mean, the defensive line is still solid, but you lose James Skalski who, you know, for what, you know, he may be limited on ability, but that guy was a coach out there. I mean, the kid, I mean, it, it will not shock me. He plays on Sundays, even though he did not get drafted during the draft. If not, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. He sits on some sideline in the very near future in Clemson, South Carolina, because he did a phenomenal job during his time period there. It felt like he was on the Christian Leitner plan. I swear to God, he has been playing Mike linebacker that for them for like the last decade, it seems like. He must have wife and kids that go to school there now, too. So, I mean, it's been so long that he's been there. But, you know, I I, I, I don't know what, you know, they'll be fine on that up front. And I think they can get through it this year. My fear factor is you're two and three because Wes Goodson's got his, a good win's got his, his work cut out for him. And he and Mickey Kahn have taken over for Venables and, you look at back at Venable's time, you know, not only through Clemson, but go back to his Oklahoma days, Luther McCoy, Tommy, Tommy Harris. I mean, if you yeah. want to go back and look at some, I mean, Tommy Harris was a wrecking ball at Oklahoma during his time there. Definitely. One of the best defensive tackles that I've seen play oh. in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, that guy was phenomenal and, and had an amazing NFL career for the Bears until uh, yeah. till injuries kind of took him out of it. Uh, but that guy was was unbelievable. And Venables, whether you hate Clemson like Jimmy does or not, you can't tell me that, that Venables hasn't done a tremendous job and has been a crucial uh, to the success of uh, Clemson football. And, and now he's gone. And, and that, you know, to me, worries me. Now, 
we've seen other programs. Alabama is a great example. You know, they, they have different coordinators every year because they win the national championship or they lose the national championship game, whatever it may be. And then their their coordinators are plucked away. But uh, Nick Saban's able to overcome that time and time again. Well, really, Clemson hasn't had too much of coordinator shuffling. Now, uh, Price uh, left and became a head coach, their, their offensive coordinator. They've had some movement there, but pretty much since he's been at the helm at Clemson, Venables has been next to him running that defense. Well, not quite. There was somebody before that, before that, that people forget about. Uh, that was uh, none other. I'm just making sure. Yeah, I was right. Kevin Steele, the old Auburn coordinator was a co- the coordinator at Dabo for early Dabo. Now you're going to see Kevin Steele on the sidelines in, this year in, uh, in Miami for Cristobal. Uh, and I think they're going to do pretty well, but I mean, Kevin Steele, he had his ups and downs. That's for sure. I mean, you look at his time at Auburn. I think he did a phenomenal job though, especially with that defensive line. Wouldn't you say Nate? No, he, he's a good defensive coordinator. Um, the guy's coached everywhere. I mean, he was at ten, he's been here at Tennessee several different times. In fact, he was the interim coach uh, after Jeremy Pruitt was gone. They hired him uh, as the interim coach for like a couple months. I think he made like uh, six hundred grand to be the interim coach for two months, and then uh, as soon as what the a great coach, job, yeah, two months he basically did nothing, and then. Uh, <laughs> was was uh, sent packing uh, as soon as the new regime came in and they paid him 650 grand to go away. Uh, and then Auburn last year, I mean, remember um, uh, after, what was his name? Give me Gus, the Gus bus rolled the out bus. of town. They want a lot of the Auburn. The, he's got some nude photos of somebody down in Auburn. They <laughs> loved it down there. And, uh, they they wanted uh, a lot of the a lot of the brass a lot of the people running the Auburn collective wanted Kevin Steele to be their head coach and didn't want Brian Harson to be their head coach and uh, you know when all this uh, was going on about um, uh, you know Harson last year when they had the the meetings and this year excuse me that we talked about where they're trying to get rid of him you know Steele's name surfaced again about potentially taking over for him and. Uh, you know, he, he's a good coach, though. Honestly, I I, I think he is well, a good coordinator. Okay. But... As, a, as a coordinator, I agree. Yes. But, I, I, I mean, people forget he has been a head coach before at Baylor. Yeah, 9-37. and 37. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those numbers. He, he was not good. Like, he was really bad. But the coach they brought in afterwards – end up being pretty good granted he got run off but he did bring back baylor to respectability so yeah well we'll see what happens i mean um honestly my whole point was that venables has been there for a long period of time he's been a stable force and last year is mainly what i'm focusing on right now his defense brought it and even when that offense struggled uh, that defense came to play no matter what. And Breeze uh, and Murphy are top ten picks next year's draft, no questions asked. I mean, they're they're unbelievable talent. But I think the real key, and I think I want to hear your part on this, is does DJU keep his job, or do they go with the five star freshman out of Texas, out of Westlake to uh, Westlake Austin? You talk to me about him. Well, I think that um, I think DJU starts. 
the season. But I don't think he finishes. I mean, let's talk about it. He got 13 starts last year. Um, you know, he was, uh, what, 208 of 374, 55% completion passes, only through for 2,200 yards. My biggest stat that I look keep looking at is that he only had nine touchdowns and he had 10 interceptions. Uh, that's not going to cut it, and that's not going to cut it at all. And I think part of that was due to, I think, as you mentioned, and we talked about the receivers took a step back, but also he looked lost at times. Um, yeah. You know, if the first read wasn't there, he had no clue what to do with the football. Uh, and, and a lot of times he took off. And, and we, we talk about his, his passing stats there. Well, uh, his rushing stats were pretty good. He, he had 105 carries for 465, um, you know, and four touchdowns rushing. Well, and that, that was those weren't designed runs, James. Those no, were when, not. Those were not. when the first read wasn't there and DJU took off because he, he just wasn't going through his progressions very good. And, you know, I think that they're going to give him a shot. I think they're going to um, start him at the beginning of the season. Uh, I think he's going to be their quarterback on day one. But I think he's going to have some competition. And, uh, you know, we watch him here. Look at that pass. That was not good. Uh, this is the spring game tape that we're looking at with him. I mean, it, it just – he doesn't look to me like – you know, I watch C.J. Stroud. I watch um, the kid at Alabama, and I watch D.J.U. And he just that like that pass there. That guy was wide open. And so what you got then is this kid Klublik, who is a five-star, uh, who has you know had scholarships to every school in the country. I think he's got more as far as quarterback skills go than DJU does. And I just think that throughout the season, as it unfolds, I think this kid is going to take the job. Um, you know, watch this kid here in high school. Uh, he can throw the ball. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He played big time football. I mean, here he is playing a high school football game on, in, in the Jerry Dome in uh, Dallas. I mean, this kid knows what he's doing. He's played in big time games. You know, I think the only reason that he doesn't start day one is because their, you know, loyalty to DJU. I mean, if you think back to a couple of years ago when Kelly Bryant was the starter, uh, Kelly Bryant was what, 13 and two his first year and then started the next year 4-0 as the starter. And then they took him out. Uh, even though he hadn't lost a game, uh, they didn't like the way that it looked and they replaced him and put Trevor Lawrence in. I think you're going to see the exact same thing happen this year because I believe that this kid is the real deal I think Dabo was all in on this kid, and I think that their program is all in on this kid because they cannot have another season on offense like they had last year, especially with Venables gone. Am I wrong? I I don't know if I'd go that far yet. I mean, the one thing to look at, though, is DJU is not what Clemson typically has had. Um, you look at back at Tosh Boyd, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. They were really fleet of foot. I mean, obviously, I mean, people probably didn't say it as much with Trevor Lawrence, but go back and watch that long touchdown run he had in the national uh, in the national semis against Ohio State. Yeah, it was I like remember 75 that yards. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I, I didn't realize he was that fast. He's pretty. I mean, I I heard that the forty times he timed out better than Watson and Boyd, which 
I still struggle to see because he never truly showed he was more of a long gate guy. DJU is not a runner. He's he's a plotter. He'll have to do it if he needs to, but he naturally wants to sit back, grow, you know, roots and throw the ball. Um, if he still looks shaken up and they don't find that slot game, yeah, I could see him getting pulled. But in the meantime, I mean, I've seen his game where, I mean, go back to 2020 when they played against Notre Dame. That was phenomenal. I mean, he looked like, I walked out of that game thinking this kid's got first pick in the draft capabilities. And I, I was I was blown away by the kid. I agree. But, yeah, I, 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 I need to see more. And I think it's just all confidence right now. Um I, th- I think his confidence is hurt, and, yeah. um, and and that 2020 team isn't there anymore. That's my whole point. That yeah. 2020 team, I mean, I could have been the quarterback of that team and, and had some success uh, because they were loaded all over, and, and a lot of those guys are gone. And my point is, is that that offense isn't the same. The offensive line is not even close to as dominant, and they're going to need somebody that can run it, that can throw it, that can create plays. And I just don't see DJU. I mean, if you go back and watch the tape last year – I mean, as I mentioned, and I talked about earlier, a lot of those games, uh, it just did not look good. Georgia did not look good. I mean, he was horrible in that game. Now, granted, Georgia's a very good defense. Yeah. Uh, Georgia's, uh, you know, one of the best defenses of all times. But in that game, DJU was 19 of 37, 170 yards, and an interception. He had a QBR of 42.8. Those numbers were actually better than I thought he played. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, honestly, I thought it was much worse. Like, it never felt like for a game that's ten to three, it felt more like forty-five nothing. Well, and a lot you of know? those yards, a lot of those yards were later. Um, yeah, you know, after the game was pretty much over. But you, you talk about um, even the uh, the Syracuse game that they won seventeen to fourteen. You know, he did not look good in that game. No. Um, you know, he was twenty-one of thirty-four, hundred and eighty yards. I mean, those are pedestrian numbers against a not good Syracuse team. I mean, Syracuse was three and four or three and three at the time. It wasn't like they were playing a, 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 a you know, a, a really good team. I mean, uh, Syracuse was not great last year and, and he struggled in that game. Um, talk to me about the, um, what was the other game? The, the Pittsburgh game uh, where they lost 27 to 17. He did not look good in that game either. In fact, that was probably his worst game all year. He was 12 of 25 for 120 yards, uh, two interceptions, a QBR of 35. That's my that was the that was the game I point to where I say he's donezo because I go back and I watch that Pittsburgh game and it, it was just hard to watch. And he ended up getting replaced later in the game, but that was it was after it was already over. And I'm telling right. you that if I got he doesn't two games get for you. If he doesn't get a lot better, he's going to be yanked because Dabo's not proven it before that he doesn't Agreed. care who the hell you are. Uh, Kelly Bryant was what, uh, what eighteen and two, and he yanked yeah. his ass. Two names to think about, okay. And I, I'm I'm not saying you're not wrong. Uh, you're not right. I'm I'm not at all. But what about? Remember Joe Burrow, two thousand eighteen. How about member Kenny Pickett 2020 or 2019? I mean, you saw two quarterbacks that were okay. Just okay. Nothing great. Interceptions pretty high. Sure, they had a live arm, but you didn't know where the hell it was going to go. All of a sudden this year, it all like 2019, it all came together for Joe Burrow. 
in 2021, it all came together for Kenny Pickett. The ability's there. It's now really can he get in the right mindset to put it all together? I think he can. And for that to happen, I think Joseph Nagata has got to really step up for him and really be a force. They need to find that slot guy and let Breeze and Murphy just go nuts. And they can win the ACC. I mean, honestly, Wake Forest is going to be tough. Uh, you're going to see uh, – I mean, it just seems like they've got a billion – I mean, Wake Forest, it, it seems like the guys are like 26 before they graduate from Wake Forest nowadays. Uh, NC State and Doran's really upping the program. Yeah. Uh, but there's still that ability where Clemson can come in and win the ACC. I think Florida State will be better. Um, yeah, I, I, saw some, I saw some things out of them towards the end of the season that, that led me to believe they might be heading in the right direction. I think Miami is going to be better. Yeah. Um, I think North Carolina, even though they lost Sam Howell, may be a better overall team. I think their ta- talent level is, is above what it was on last year's team in an overall perspective. Uh, I think Mac Brown has recruited well, and I think that'll show up next year in the ACC. And, yeah. um, you know, I just don't think Clemson walks away with it. And I agree with you. I think – I think there's an opportunity. He's going to give DJU an opportunity. I mean, there yeah. we've seen it before, as you mentioned with Burrow and Pickett, guys that come back after a, a not so great year and show they can do it. But you saw the tape of that spring game. Did that look to you like he's mentally sharp? Did that look to no. you like he's he's zoned in? I mean, he couldn't complete a pass uh, for against his own team in a, a no contact spring game. What the hell is he going to do when he's got live bullets flying? I mean, I just I think he got shook. Uh, last year with what happened. I think it, it damaged his confidence. And I think it's going to be hard for him to come back, especially considering there's that kid right behind him who enrolled early, played in the spring game, and is sitting there staring at him on the sidelines going, please screw up. Please screw up, DJ, because I want to get in the game. You look at his schedule, though. I mean, you're starting off at Mercedes-Benz on September 5th against Godtech. Then you come home the next Saturday against Furman. Then you got to play the weekend after that against La Tech. That's definitely not murderer's row. He could build no. some confidence right there. But then September 24th in Winston-Salem at Wake. And yeah. then following that up with home against NC State. Yeah. That's those, two are, those really are the two games. games. Those are the two games. If, if they're going to make the move, that's when the move's going to be made. It's going to be yeah. made around that time period. No, those are the two games. It, it, that's why I said four games and then boom, because that yeah. fourth game is, is is going to be against Wake Forest. And uh, if he doesn't perform there or if he's shaky, you know, I, I could see Dabo making the switch before they play NC State because, uh, we, as we saw last year, NC State gave them all kinds of problems and uh, took, them, took them to the uh, overtime and ended up, ended up beating them. So – uh, it could happen again. And, and just a couple names that uh, I'd like to throw out there um, on top of uh, Cade Klubnik, the quarterback, um, you know, wasn't really the type of recruiting class that we've come, you know, grown accustomed to seeing from Dabo Sweeney. I mean, we've been seeing top five recruiting classes over and over and over again this year, uh, 2022, they finished ranked 14th overall. Yeah. Um, but they got the guy they wanted, and that's Cade Kludnik. So I think Dabo was happy with that. Um, and they got some other guys, too, that that hopefully will step in and play right away. One of them that I want to talk about really quickly is the wide receiver. Um, that's Adam Randall. 
Uh, this kid is out of uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 6'3", 215. He's got the size. Uh, he's a four-star product, as you see him here, going up and getting the ball. I could see this kid coming in and playing some as a freshman. Uh, he, he's from the area. He grew up Clemson fan. He has uh, got all the tools. I mean, he's got the speed. He's got the size. He's got the hands. Um, I, I could see this kid coming in and, and competing uh, to get on the field in the beginning of the of the year. And, um, you know, I, I've watched a lot of tape on him, and I, I feel like, you know, only a four-star, but I feel like, uh, you know, he's got some five-star ability to him, if you know what I mean. Uh, I could see Jaden Lucas coming in, getting some playing early playing time too, and even start probably by the second or third week. Don't you? I agree. The cornerback out of Malden, South Malden. Carolina. Yeah, uh, yeah, I could. He, five he, star. He, yeah, he he's definitely one of their up and comers for sure. Yeah, I can see Jaden Lucas definitely competing. They also they got several defensive backs in this class. Uh, yeah, they got the safety Sherrod Koval. Uh, out of Chesapeake, Virginia, Oscar Smith High School, six feet, 185, four-star product. Uh, they got a linebacker, TJ Dudley, out of Montgomery Prep in Montgomery, Alabama. He could get on the field early. They got uh, Toriano Pride uh, from East St. Louis, Missouri, four-star cornerback. So these are guys that are going to come in and definitely compete for starting jobs uh, right away. They also picked up a offensive lineman out of Ohio, uh, four star, six six, three fifteen. Blake Miller out of Strongsville. I think he could come in and maybe not start right away, but definitely improve the depth on that offensive line. But Hunter Johnson's coming back, baby. <laughs> come on, for the third time. The, Hunter the third time, yeah. You know, the former five star out of Greenwood, Indiana. I remember when he was coming up. Oh my gosh, it was like. So ballyhooed. Then when he transferred to Northwestern, hearing all the hype about how he was going to retransform Northwestern. Wow. Uh, he was he was committed to Tennessee first. Um, oh, he was. And, yeah. Not know they, were that. Like, oh, they were like, oh yeah, he's he's number 16. He loves Peyton Manning. He's the next Peyton Manning. And then they then he uh you know, then of course we Tennessee had another coaching change, which they do every three years. And uh so he 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 committed to Clemson and uh, just could never ever get on the field. But I, I think Dabo views him more now as like a grad assistant. And uh, I think he's going to lean on him to essentially be a coach since he's, he's been a quarterback in the uh, college football ranks for six years. So, well, you know, uh, Taj Boyd was originally committed to Tennessee as well until uh, the lane train, uh, you know, picked up and went to the, went to uh, uh, LA. So yeah, uh, Derek Dooley came in and, and said that uh, Taj Boyd was was not good enough uh, to play Tennessee. <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously saw... Derek Dooley wasn't his father. Yeah, no, I, and that's why you don't hire someone based on what their dad did. Uh, that, that doesn't always work out. So, anyway, we'll see what happens. But I enjoyed uh, digging in and, and looking into uh, Clemson today. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens down there. As we mentioned, ten and three, not a horrible record. But a lot of those games against some not great competition in the ACC were not good. And, and I think that's why, you know, even though they, their record wasn't horrible, but their fans were, were very, very concerned uh, by the way that some of those games went. Isn't it crazy how 10 and 3 can make everybody depressed? Like it almost felt like 6 and 6. Yeah. Like, well, it, was I, it was close to being that. If they didn't have Venables 
and his defense, uh, that they could have been six and six really easily. I mean, it was just, I mean, heck, they played in the Cheez It Bowl. You'd have thought they played in the freaking Motor City Bowl the way they acted. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and, and they played against a good, and they beat a good Iowa State team against Brees Hall, against Brock Purdy. I mean, they won against a good team. So, yeah, well, they um, they definitely acted um, like they won, or, or Dabo acted like he won the uh, national championship uh, after they won the game. Uh, but yeah, you're right. When they were going into it, you know, the the fans weren't really excited. But you know, a, a you got to build year, for something. You got to yeah, build but, for something. Yeah, I mean, hey, you just can't. Down year going ten and three. That's that's pretty good. And and the yeah. fact um, the fact that. Uh, They've got a lot of people coming back this year, and and uh, the guys that we mentioned there in the recruiting class, uh, they've got a good shot at, uh, at making it home. But um, yeah. anyways, we appreciate everybody tuning in today. Definitely go to our YouTube channel, Man Coverage. Type in Man Coverage, Knoxville Nate, Man Coverage, Bonneville. It'll come up right away. You can subscribe to our channel and uh, watch all our shows and, and see all of our old interviews and everything. Uh, we're going to be taking a couple weeks off, but we'll be back. Uh, as soon as we get done with the little uh, R&R and uh, be bringing you some more uh, college football action. Hey, when are we getting our own NIL collective to help us out? I don't know. I'm ready for it. <laughs> um, you know, we could pull the Minnesota Gopher Collective and then the Vols Collective and, and use both of those pools uh, to, to fuel our budget. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. Um, we got both locations uh, that we could use to, to go after. So let's do it. Uh, man coverage collective coming to you soon. <laughs> All right. It's good to see you, man. All right, buddy. Have a good one. And thank you for uh, tuning in, Jimmy. Thanks for uh, your great comments. Will everybody that, that gave us comments and questions. We appreciate it. We appreciate everybody watching today and definitely uh, tune in in two weeks. We will be back on Sunday at one o'clock. Uh, believe that is the second week in June. Uh, we would be back coming at you. So come back, come back to us, and uh, thank you all for uh, tuning in today. James, have a great rest of your weekend. All right, bud. See you then, man. All right, bud.